Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. Jeremiah chapter number 31, and I'll begin there with verse 33. I have felt a strong, strong burden on my heart for the last few days concerning this service. Actually, I've felt a burden for people that stand in this room this morning. And I believe the Lord has a word for people today, if we'll receive it. We know that the word does not return void. We know that the word is persistent. We know that the Spirit of God is persistent in knocking on men's hearts' doors. But it's up to us. He said in the book of Revelation, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I'm not a trespasser, in other words. I'm not an intruder. I'm not someone that's going to pry the door open. But if you'll open the door, and sometimes we don't even have the strength or the confidence to open it wide and to welcome, but sometimes it's just leaving the door of our heart ajar a little bit. And that's all, that's all that God needs to come in and do a work if we'll allow Him to. Praise the Lord. Jeremiah chapter number 31 and verse 33. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. They shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for light by day, and the ordinances of the moon, and the stars for light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus saith the Lord, if the heaven above can be measured, and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the city shall be built to the Lord from the tower of Hananiel unto the gate of the corner. And the measuring line shall yet go forth over against it upon the hill Gerum, and shall compass about unto Goth. And the whole valley of the dead bodies and of the ashes and all the fields Upon the brook, unto the brook of Kidron, unto the corner of the horse gate toward the east, 
shall be holy unto the Lord. It shall be plucked up. It shall not be plucked up nor thrown down anymore forever. I want you to note something there as he is giving these dimensions and these boundary lines, if you will. He says, In the whole valley of the dead bodies and of the ashes and of all the fields unto the brook Kidron, unto the corner of the horse gate toward the east, shall be holy unto the Lord. And it shall not be plucked up nor thrown down any more forever. I want to preach what I feel so strong upon my heart this morning. I want to talk to us about how far can mercy reach? How far can mercy reach? Perhaps somebody in this place is wondering that. Maybe you've had that question lingering in the back of your mind. If not voiced it, maybe it's just been there consciously. You thought about it. You've pondered it. I wonder if God able to reach me. I wonder if God is able after so many times of me rejecting Him, so many times of me being disobedient to Him, so many times of me uh, going against His Word. I wonder, is there any mercy left for me? Well, I hope to answer that question here this morning, and I hope to help somebody in this place. God wants to touch somebody's life. God wants to restore some folks. God wants to renew some people and God wants to reach some folks in this house for the first time. I believe that with all of my heart. Would the church say amen? Amen. How many in this congregation is going to help me push just a little bit here this morning? Going to help me with this burden that I feel here this morning? Why don't you raise your hands to the Lord and let's pray together that God in His mercy would reach to people's hearts. He would touch and minister to people's needs in this place. Come on, let's cry out to the Lord today. Let's seek Him. Let's call upon Him. Let's reach out to Him. We need Him. We need Him. Come on, everybody in this house needs the Lord to touch them. It doesn't matter how long you've lived for God. We need mercy. We need the touch of the Lord in this place. And I'm praying God would help us. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you so much for standing. And you may be seated. Some of you, when I read this passage of Scripture, perhaps you you wondered where is he coming from or what is meant by this Old Testament prophecy. And I realize that this is a prophetic passage of Scripture concerning primarily the restoration and the rise of Jerusalem. Because as you know, Jerusalem had been decimated. And the people had been taken into captivity. And Jeremiah is reminding them that it's not always going to be this way. Aren't you thankful for a God that sees beyond our present situations? That sees beyond where we are at the moment. And looks and sees our potential. And is able to give us the help to reach that potential is able to undergird us and give us the grace that would help us to be sufficient and have sufficient strength to be able to tackle whatever problem is before us. And that is exactly what Jeremiah is doing here. He's saying, I know that the situation as it stands right now 
it looks awfully bleak. I know as you look around, you see that there is absolutely in your eyes no potential. There's no way that things could improve or get better. But I'm telling you, there's still a God in heaven that has His eyes trained upon His people. And He has not forgotten you, though you're in captivity, though you're in a place, a strange land. I'm telling you that God is going to undergird. God is going to restore. And God is going to give you the strength to overcome. The prophet Jeremiah indicates that this city, though it has been decimated and destroyed and its place of worship has been razed completely, he is telling them that this city is not going to remain in ruins, but this city is going to be elevated to a place of prominence again. It's going to be restored completely. And he said, I'll go a little bit further and tell you that it's going to be a place for all people. It's not just going to be for a certain few. We're not just going to have a city that is cordoned off for those that are the elite or those that have proven themselves. But this city is going to be open for all that are hungry. He said both small and great is going to find residence in this city. Both small and great, if you're looking for a home, you can find citizenship. In this city, you can become a part of this city. It's not an exclusive thing. And then one of my favorite parts of this scripture is that he begins to hint even all the way back here thousands of years before the Holy Ghost would ever be poured out. He begins to hint of what is to come. And that is that the Holy Ghost is going to be poured out upon all people. Amen. As many as the Lord our God shall call, the Scripture says. And we see Jeremiah speaking of this as he talks about how that you have lived for so long under the ordinances of the law. He said, but there is coming a day that the law is not going to be something on the outside, external, that you observe. But I am going to write it upon the tables of your heart. It's going to be written on your inward parts. And I am going to fulfill the law myself. And I am going to give you an opportunity to experience me in a way that you've never experienced me before. I am going to give you my spirit to dwell within you. For so long you went to the house of God. And there you have seen a veil and a separation point. But I'm telling you the relationship that I'm going to have with you is going to be so much better than that. I'm going to give you mercy. I'm going to extend to you grace like you've never known before. I'm going to afford you the opportunity to have me living within you on the inside. Then your failures, your your mistakes, your shortcomings, every area of your life that you feel insufficient in, you will then have the power to overcome temptation. Then you'll have the power to live and live life more abundantly. That is what is coming when I write my law on your inward parts. Amen. When I give you the gift of the Holy Ghost, it's going to be power. It's going to be strength. It's going to be fresh anointing. It's going to give you the ability to overcome. If you're thankful for the Holy Ghost this morning, somebody ought to lift up their voice and give Him praise right now. Hallelujah. But really, 
in this passage of Scripture, he is setting the boundary lines, if you will, for this city. And we understand that everything here written uh, gives us a parallel and a type to look forward to in the New Testament, the New Covenant. But he is setting the boundary lines of the city of Jerusalem. And I do not wish to deal with all the prophetic meanings of this as much as what it represents to you and I in the age that we live in. I, I know that you understand that we refer to Jerusalem or Mount Zion as a type of the church. It was on Mount Zion that uh, a temple was constructed and this was a place where people would meet God. This was a place where God would visit His people. And we know that we live in a different era of time. We know that we're a part now of the body of Christ. We are a part of the church. We are the church. It's no longer a building that is that is constructed of wood and, and uh, stone and, and fashioned with men's hands, but we are the body of Christ. Of course, we come here in this beautiful facility to worship God, and this is a place where the body of Christ comes together and we have church services. But I want to remind you that you're the church. Amen. That we are the people of God. We are the temple, the Bible says, of the Holy Ghost. And when we get together, that dynamic grows even stronger. The Bible said where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I'll be in the midst of them. So there is power in God's people coming together. And that's why we're here this morning. And we strengthen one another. We pray with one another. Amen. We, we minister to one another. And through our connection to this this great body of Christ, we receive the replenishment, we receive the strength, we get the help that we need to be able to live victoriously. And I'm so thankful for the church, but I'm telling you, Jerusalem at that time was where the Ark of the Covenant could be found. It was there behind that veil in that temple that the Ark of the Covenant rested and it was believed that between those cherubs up on top of the mercy seat, there in between those two golden cherubs that were symmetrically unified looking down upon the mercy seat, uh, dwelt the very Shekinah or the presence of God. So this ark and this place and even Jerusalem became synonymous with men thinking about the presence of God and where God could be felt. We understand that people would, from miles around with this revelation of where the presence of God dwelled or where it was manifest, uh, they would, they would turn their attention towards Jerusalem. We, we see evidence of this all through the scripture where men would pray facing Jerusalem crying out for God to intervene in their situation. Some of them not able to travel to Jerusalem. Some of them even in captivity away from Jerusalem, unable to go there. But nevertheless, they can lift a prayer unto God. And that prayer could be heard and responded to. And the Lord would meet them at their point of need. God would hear them and respond to them and show them mercy. 
and they would look to this place to find mercy. Find mercy in their situations, in their difficulties. It was a holy city. It was considered a city of mercy. And so if a person found themselves in a dire need, in dire situation, this is where they would look. Uh, this was where they would face and where they would pray. And so in our text, God is describing through the prophet Jeremiah. He said, this is where I can be found. The entire valley shall be holy. The fields shall be holy. Unto the brook of Kidron. That is uh, the boundaries. That is the place that I will uh, encompass with my mercy. This is the place that you can look to. I'm telling you where you can find it. I'm telling you where help can be derived. I'm telling you where you can receive the strength that you need. He is defining the boundaries. He's given clear direction of how far mercy can reach. He said if a man can get to this city, no matter how desperate he is or how terrible the problem, how out of sorts his life or her life may become if they can get to the city or if they can even face the city of Jerusalem. My mercy will reach them. My mercy will reach out to where they are and touch them and help them. They can find mercy there. I feel that given the sinful state of our society and how that our world is digressed in the dismal place that it is right now that is so desperate and people are so desperate people need a fresh a fresh definition of just how far mercy can reach people in our day need a fresh definition maybe there's people in this room preacher I'm a sinner I'm away from God I know and I admit that I've got problems I've got challenges I've got difficulties I've got situations in my life I'm not trying to hide it. I'm, I'm tired of trying to camouflage it. I'm trying, I'm tired of trying to act like everything's okay with me. I admit I've got issues that I can't resolve on my own. I admit I've got problems that I can't overcome by myself. I'll be the first to admit, preacher, amen, that I'm in a place that I need God and I need God's intervention. I need God's help. I need the Lord to reach to me and now I wonder if I can touch Him. I need, I feel so unworthy. I, I feel so encumbered by my past mistakes. I feel so condemned by how I've lived. Amen. And He's been so good to me, but I have snubbed my nose and, and I've walked away and I've resisted and I have not yielded at times to the conviction of God and the call of God upon my life. Is there any hope for me? Is there any place for me? Can I touch God? Can He reach me? Can I experience Him? Can I be restored? Will the Holy Ghost Amen. ever visit my life again? Well, I've come preaching to you, sir. I've come preaching to you this morning. I've come to tell you that there's a long reach when it comes to mercy. I've come preaching to you that God's mercy is able to touch lives 
that yield to him, that will surrender. You're in the right place. If you say, I don't know what to do, you come to the right house. If you've gotten to the place, I don't know if I could go any further down. I'm telling you, all you got to do is reach up. Mercy's going to be there. The touch of God is going to be there. The hand of God is already reaching towards you right now. Come on, I need the church to help me right now. I need you to pray with me. Come on, I need you to seek after God with me right now. Come on, let me let me bring it home to you. Let me talk to where we're living. Some people say I've lived so bad. Amen. I have such an unpleasant past. I feel used up. I've given myself to so many things in the world. I feel like I'm scarred. I feel like I am damaged goods, if you will. I don't know if there's any hope. I don't know. Amen. I'm not laying responsibility on anybody else. I'm tired of playing the blame game, preacher. I'm tired of blaming my parents for my problems. I'm tired of blaming false religion for my problems. I'm tired of blaming, maybe it even is, uh, church members and church people and, 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 and people along the way that I could have fixed blame to. Come on, I'm taking responsibility. I'm manning up to who I am. I, I realize when I look in the mirror, this is not what I want to be and this is not how I want to end my life. This is not what I want to become and this is not what I've intended but I just wonder is there any mercy left is there any mercy left I'm telling you mercy is reaching even as I'm preaching here this morning mercy is speaking to somebody in this place mercy is talking to somebody's heart in this house Come on, I wish I had a church that would catch hold of this burden. I wish I had somebody would punch me with an amen right now. I wish I had somebody in this place that would get under the burden. Amen. And realize there's souls that are hanging in the balances. There's people that are standing between heaven and hell right now. And this service may be the only opportunity that God has to reach them. I never cease to be amazed by the mercies of God. When situations look absolutely hopeless and God steps into the situation and turns it completely around, I never cease to be amazed at how God can put lives back together. How God can turn what would seem like a chapter in a person's life that couldn't get any more dismal, that couldn't be any further from, from offering hope. God could turn the page and begin to rewrite a happy ending and give them hope, strengthen them, and give them help. A friend of mine and I were talking just this week, and, and uh, he did not realize that I would be preaching these things. And, and uh, he told me this story about a boy in his church that was raised there in the church. He raised him from just a small boy. His parents are faithful members of the church. And I just feel to say this this morning. Maybe nobody else uh, needs this, but I feel like to say it. Uh, You know, just because, uh, well, let me say it this way. You can be a perfect parent, and you can have it all together, and you can be faithful to God. But there comes a time in a child's life, they make their own decisions. And they make their own choices. 
And I refuse to allow the devil to beat up parents in this church because of the decisions that children have made. And I refuse to allow somebody, just because you've had a kid or two that's turned out right and everything's doing perfect and you haven't had any Bibles, don't look down your nose and judge somebody else. You just thank God that you're not in their shoes. You just thank God every day that God's been merciful to you. And you keep praying for them that, that God would turn that child and their heart towards God. Amen. He can do it. I said He can do it. Praise the Lord. But I want, I want some, I want some parents in this house to quit beating yourself up every day and living under condemnation every day. And I know that we don't lose the burden and I know that we don't, we don't ever uh, get to the place that our heart does not ache for them and we're not praying for them. And But I'm going to just tell you there's a point that you have to put it in the hands of God and you have to trust God and say, God, I, I'm just going to put it in your hands and I'm going to do keep doing and being faithful in the areas that I know according to your word I need to be faithful and I'm going to live uh, my life unto you and dedicate myself unto you. And when there's somebody else's kid in the altar, I'm going to pray with them. Uh, Amen. Believing that someday you're going to bring my kid back to the house of God. Someday you're going to get a hold of them. You're going to touch their lives. Can somebody say praise the Lord? Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. I'm going to tell you, the devil doesn't play fair. I'm telling you, the devil can, can ravage people and shoot them full of holes, feeling like, amen, that they're not worthy. And before you know it, uh, they don't feel worthy to worship. Before you know it, uh, they, they don't feel worthy to come to prayer and talk to God and seek the face of the Lord. And before you know it, it affects every aspect of their relationship with God. Come on, enough of that. Get up and dust yourself off and realize, uh, amen, that there's some things that I don't don't know and I don't understand and it's in the hands of God and I'm going to keep on walking with him I'm going to keep on with devil you're not getting my worship devil you hear me you're not stealing my praise you're not taking away my ministry you're not taking away my anointing I'm going to do the work of God I'm going to stand flat for me to continue to walk with God come on clap your hands and let's praise the Lord together Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Matter of fact, the story hadn't concluded just yet. The Bible said here the conclusion of the matter. Don't judge it all just yet. It isn't finished just yet. Just keep on walking with God. But this boy was raised in the church. Couldn't have been raised in a better home. Modeled the truth and righteousness and Christian living before him. But he got running with the wrong crowd, young. And, and that led to, to other things. And before you know it, he had a drug habit. And this drug habit led him into a life of crime. And uh, even in his later teenage years in trouble with the law, and then as, his, as a young adult become more and more uh, involved in, in crime and... and uh, in and out of jail and different things until just last week. Uh, he was facing 30 years, 30 years of hard time. And uh, he had reached the point where this was, this was really what was going to be the, the sentencing for him. In fact, the jury had found him guilty of the crimes that he had committed. And it was up to the judge 
uh, to give the sentencing phase of that trial. And so in the sentencing phase of the trial, they allowed people from both the prosecution and the defense to speak. And the mother was asked to speak by the defending uh, attorney. And the mother got up, tears rolling down her cheeks. She looked square in the eyes of that judge. And she said, Judge, I'm telling you, he deserves everything that you guys have found him guilty of. In fact, he is guilty of it. I know beyond any shadow of doubt, probably that and more. As she began to weep, she said, Your Honor, I'm not standing here asking and telling you, trying to defend him and trying to tell you that he didn't do those things. But I'm telling you and admitting that he did every one of them. These things he's guilty of. There's no doubt about it. But we dedicated this boy to God. She didn't have anything to lose. She was standing there so desperate. And she stood there. She said, I know it may seem humorous to you, but I say it with sincerity. She said, Your Honor, if I felt like it would do any good, and if I could, I'd bend him right over my knee in front of this whole court, and I would spank his hide. But that, I don't know, would do any good. And I know that we're past that point. But she said, I'm angry with him. I'm disappointed in him. But we dedicated him to God. We brought him as a little baby down to our pastor. He held him in his arms and he offered him to the Lord. And uh, he's been raised to live better than this. And we've exampled it. His father and I have been good parents. We've never been in trouble with the law. We've never exhibited any of this kind of behavior before him. We, We don't necessarily understand all the whys. But all I'm asking you is for one more chance for him to come to church and to be able to live the way we dedicated and raised him up to live. And the judge, after she finished, she went and sat down. And there was an awkward blanket of silence that fell over the whole room. As my pastor friend described it to me, he said, I'm telling you, it was the most awkward thing. He said, it wasn't two minutes He said it wasn't five minutes. That would have been a long time. He said, but it was 15 minutes that in total silence, he said that judge looked down at his paperwork and flipped through the files that were before him. And finally, he looked up over his glasses and he said, I tell you what I'm going to do. He said, I'm going to give this child or this young man uh, the chance to go home on house arrest. And he'll go where his parents go. And uh, he'll be confined to doing what they do. And he'll go home to be with them other than just a few allowances with probation and different things. And if he messes this up, I'm just telling you that he's going to get the full extent of the law. He's going to get this entire sentence of 30 years. That's what he has coming to him. But I am going to show mercy to him. He didn't understand what he was doing. He didn't understand why he was doing what he was doing. 
Oh, but that young man realized, I'm getting one more chance. I'm getting one more opportunity. Because there was a mother, because there was a father that was praying and seeking the vo- uh, uh, for the intervention of God and the touch of God in his life. I'm telling you, mercy is not what you deserve. Mercy is exactly the opposite. It's what you don't deserve. It's the hand of God stepping in when it seems like all else has failed. Mercy intervenes. It steps in at the last moment and changes things at the last moment. Mercy is recovering from an overdose that you should have died from. Mercy is escaping a car wreck that should have killed you. Mercy is a restored marriage that was headed for the divorce courts. Mercy is a sentence that has been commuted. Amen. I'm telling you, God's mercy is reaching for somebody that is in this place here this morning. The presence of God is so thick in this house to touch somebody's life. You can't walk away from this service and say, God didn't give me a chance. God didn't give me an opportunity. I didn't feel the touch of God. I'm telling you, there's an open invitation for somebody that's in this place. If you want mercy, mercy's here. Mercy's reaching for you. Hallelujah. Somebody help me pray right now. Somebody help me touch God right now. Mercy is a well vomiting up a man and giving him another chance. And with that, giving a city that he had vowed to destroy another chance. Mercy is hearing the prayer of a publican that stood in the corner and felt unworthy and beat his chest and said, help me a sinner. Hearing the cry of a leper. Said, if thou wilt. Question's never been whether he would. The question is whether you will. Whether you'll come. Whether you'll cry out. Whether you'll call on him. Whether you'll let him intervene in your life. Whether you'll let him. Whether you'll swallow your pride. Whether you'll forget your ego. And come to an altar and say, God, I need you. That's the only question that there is in this room today. Mercy is stopping a whole procession to respond. To respond to a blind man that was crying out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And he said, I know we're headed someplace and we've got a short time to get there, but somebody's crying out for mercy. I'm going to reach him. I'm going to speak to him. As a musician comes, I would be remiss, though, if I did not tell you, just as this passage indicates, that mercy does have boundaries. Yes, it does. The whole valley and the field shall be holy unto the brook of Kidron. There's a boundary between my mercy and my judgment. We see this illustrated. First Kings chapter number 2. We know that when David left the city of Jerusalem because of Absalom. And Absalom's siege of that holy city. Rather than to make war and a battlefield out of the city that he loved more than anything else. David said, I'll walk away. And if God wants me to be king, he'll bring me back. And as he was leaving... 
There were those, you know, as there always is, bandwagon people that go with wherever momentum. Instead of just going with what's right, they, they go with whatever, whichever way the wind's blowing. And they went out to the banks of the Jordan, Shimei did. And he accused and he railed and he cursed, cussed out, if you will. David mocked him. Look how weak. The king is leaving his capital city. The king is fleeing for his life. And he made fun. Eventually, God did bring David back to that city. Eventually, he was restored as the king of all of Israel from Jerusalem. Nevertheless, Shimei, realizing what had happened and realizing the tide had turned again, kind of a bandwagon guy, he comes back and he pleads for mercy. Mercy. I need mercy, David. I was the one that cursed you. I deserve to die. David said, I'll tell you what I'll do. You stay within the perimeters of Jerusalem. You don't leave this city. And I'll be merciful to you. But I'm just telling you, if you leave the borders and the boundaries of this city, your blood's going to be up on your own head. Jimmy, I did good for a long time all the rest of the days of David. But there must have been something in his heart that even David recognized because he tells Solomon, he said, you better keep your eye on him. And sure enough, when Solomon became king, there was two servants that went from the care of Shimei to the land of the Philistines, Gath. The world, if you will. Two things that were property to Shimei that Shimei should have had control of. Should have had mastery of. He should have kept it within his care, but carelessly he let them get away from him. They crossed over and they went over to the land of Gath. Shimei said, well, I know what David said. I know the deal that was made, but Maybe nobody will notice if I just slip out by night. I'll go and slip across Kidron, wade across those chilly waters, and I'll go over and I'll retract my servants and bring them back with me and nobody will know the difference. It'll all be under the cover of darkness. and Nobody will worry with it slipped away but he didn't fool the king the king recognized it and he said Shimei I told you I told you that you stay in the perimeters of this city you can live you stay in Jerusalem you can survive and mercy will be extended to you but if you left these boundaries your blood was going to be upon your own head You had something in your heart that you never took care of. And you thought because you had received mercy in the past that 
you really felt like that you could just get by and do whatever you wanted to do. You didn't respect my father. You don't respect me. You don't respect the king's word. You don't respect anything. So your blood's going to be up on your own head and call for one of the mighty men to come and fall upon you. I was preaching revival a long ways from here. There was a man that came in during that revival. He was fresh out of prison, searching, looking, hungry for God. Never known much about Pentecost, but somebody invited him to church and he came. He got the Holy Ghost in that revival. And I'm talking about, you could see it glistening on his countenance. I mean, every service, they're early for prayer. I would come to church during the day and pray for the services and he would sometimes be there. He got a job as part of his uh, being reformed and and it was okay because he'd had some experience in helping on a ranch. He a ranch outside of town there and he was helping them with their livestock and their horses and, and he was working. I went and visited him out there one day with the pastor and he was so thankful for what God was doing and how many great strides he was making how things was going for him so this looked like it couldn't be any more beautiful of a story and ever service worshiping God ever service on fire for God down the altar wasn't long till the revival concluded I received a call from the pastor he said you remember and he called him by name I said, yes, sir, I remember. He said, well, I got some bad news. He said he passed away. He said they found his cold, lifeless body in a little RV that he was staying there on that ranch. He's old, he'd overdosed on drugs. He said it seems as best we can piece it together that some old friends that came by from a large city that was nearby and said, come on, go with us won't hurt cross Kidron one night you remember how much fun we used to have together and how much our friendship meant first perhaps he resisted perhaps he told him no as it continued to they continued to tempt him he got in their car and he went because he hadn't partaken of the things that he used to partake of in so long he didn't realize that his body was not as immune to it as it once was. And evidently he indulged himself too much. And somewhere in the night had a cardiac arrest that took his life. And all I could think is, as Shimei, you thought nobody would know the difference. You thought that you could slip out one night and nobody would know. And you could come back and everything would be okay. You thought that it was going to be all right. You thought that mercy would always be able to, to reach you there. The presence of God would always be able to touch you at that place. But you got beyond the grasp. Mercy. Would you stand with me? Would you stand with me right now? Come on, let's. Every head bowed. Would you pray with me right now? Every head bowed. Let's talk to God together. Let's talk to God. Would you raise your voice, church? Would you talk to God with me? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
I plead with you, don't go where mercy can't reach you. I've been thinking, been thinking about my friend. Thinking about my friend Tim Copeland, one of the greatest evangelists ever walked in shoe leather. He's fighting and struggling for his life right now. Hasn't been able to preach in several years now. But I remember a story he once told about his evangelistic work. How there was a man in a congregation they felt such a burden for, but he just couldn't connect. He couldn't get broke through to him. His heart was so hardened. He kept reaching. He kept preaching. Anybody knows Brother Copeland knew the burden which he could preach with. Such a powerful man of God and a preacher. Brother Copeland felt such a burden. He went back and spoke to the man. And the man got up and began to walk towards the back door of that old church. And Brother Copeland, tears, sobbing, said, Man, I can't describe to you what kind of burden I feel. I just feel like God's calling for you. And this may be the last time that he does. He said, I don't know what made me do it. But he said, I took my Bible And I put it down on the threshold of that door as he was approaching it. And I stood there and said, sir, he said, if you walk through this threshold and walk over this Bible, he said, I just feel to tell you, you won't have another opportunity to feel what you're feeling right now. You won't experience what you're experiencing right now. It's obvious God is dealing with you and God is trying to reach you. Just, just yield to Him. Give Him a chance. And in His hardened heart, He continued on. He walked out. And just a few days later, He called for Brother Copeland from a hospital. And I don't remember all the details of the story, but He begged him. He said, pray for me. As He was dying, He said, pray for me that I could feel what I felt in that church service, that I could have another opportunity. He said, because I feel like I'm going to hell. I know hell is not something that you hear a lot about anymore. It's not popular to preach. But I feel a burden on my heart to tell you that right here, this morning, that you need to realize that there is the reality of a place called hell. And by ignoring it, And by not talking about it, does it take away from his existence? The Bible says that hell hath enlarged itself beyond measure. The Bible tells me that it comes down with great wrath. Satan does. Knowing he has but a short time. Right now you're within the reach of mercy. Shimei, please. Please, don't go beyond the reach of mercy. Mercy is calling right now. God is dealing with people right now. I open these altars as a somebody that wants to heed the call, as a somebody that wants to hear the Lord's voice. 
comforting you and strengthening you and helping you to stand again and get back up again. Hallelujah. I wish that we wouldn't just shrug this off. I wish somehow, some way, that there would be some people with burden in this place that would intercede, that would stand along with others in this altar and pray with them until they get breakthrough. If you've experienced mercy, if you know that it's just by the grace of God that you're here, you ought to come to this altar and throw up your hands and say, God, I am so thankful. I could have died out there on the streets of that city. I could have died in a slumped over, dirty, filthy apartment. I'm a drug overdose. I could have died in a pool of vomit. But God, you and your mercy has reached me. Somebody said, is that really all that necessary to be so graphic, to be so forthright, to be so emotional? Yeah, you better believe it is. Because whether you understand it or not, I'm going to stand before God someday. I'm going to give an account someday. Did you try to reach them? Did you do what I asked you to do? Did you tell them the truth? Did you share with them that my mercy was extended to